Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So scientists called her husband one day. He had a third grade education. He didn't know what a cell was. And he got this call that he understood to be saying, we've got your wife. She's alive in a laboratory. You know, we've been doing research on her for 25 years, and now we have to test your children to see if they have the cancer that killed her, which wasn't what the scientists said at all, but he thought they had her in a cell like a prison cell. I'm Ben Valsler, and in this special interview for The Naked Scientists, I'll be speaking to Rebecca Skloot, science writer, broadcaster, and author of the best-selling book, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. I first learned about Henrietta Lacks and her cells when I was 16 years old. I was in a basic biology class, and like most biology teachers, at some point mine said, there are these incredible cells. They've been alive and growing in labs since 1951. They were incredibly important for medicine, and he sort of told us some of the things about them. And what was unusual is that he actually knew her real name, and he wrote Henrietta Lacks on the board in big letters, and then turned around and said she was a black woman. And then that was it. And he raised the board and class was over. And I sat there going, wait, what? That's it? Like, what else do we know about her? And who was she? And did she have any kids? And so I went up to him after class and I asked him and he just said, sorry, that's all we know. And see if you can go find anything, do a little research, write an extra credit paper, give you some points for it. And um, I couldn't find anything. And it just stuck with me. I became sort of obsessed with them. And I, it took me a long time, well after the book was done and published, to really kind of start understanding why the cells grabbed me when they did. And I think it's in part because that same year when I was 16, my father was very ill. He had a viral infection that caused brain damage. And he had actually just enrolled in a clinical drug trial. And so he was being used in research with his knowledge. And he couldn't drive. This was part of the the brain damage. He wasn't able to drive. And so I would drive him to the hospital several times a week for these experimental drug infusions. And I would just sit there in this big room filled with people being part of research. And I think that I noticed the story and started asking questions like, what did her kids think? And because I was a kid who was sort of dealing with the emotions of watching my own father be used in research and the sort of hope that comes with that and, you know, maybe they can save him and the fear. And so I think I was just sort of uniquely positioned to notice that moment in a way that maybe other kids wouldn't have. So thinking of the science of this, it's widely thought that if you've ever worked with human cultured cells, the odds are you've worked with some of Henrietta's own cells. Oh, pretty much guaranteed. (laughs) I mean, most people learn cell culture using HeLa cells in part because they are the hardiest cells really out there. They're the hardest ones to kill, so you can sort of mess up with them more than other cells before they you hurt them. (laughs) But also just that, yeah, they're just ubiquitous. They're everywhere in cell culture. So most people, they, and there are certainly some people out there who haven't used them, but, you know, if you really do cell culture work, chances are you've used them and probably have some in your freezer somewhere. What have they been involved with so far scientifically? They've been instrumental in some fairly important discoveries. Oh, yeah. The list goes on and on. The sort of big landmark ones were that they were used to help develop the polio vaccine. 
they went up in the first space missions to see what would happen to human cells in zero gravity. Her cells were the first ones ever cloned. Her genes were some of the first ever mapped. Um, you can trace a lot of our most important cancer medications back to research done on her cells. The HPV vaccine, you can trace some of that back to her cells. And then anything from drugs for lactose intolerance to Alzheimer's disease, it just it's this sort of never-ending list that's still growing today. So what's so special about her cells that have enabled them to be involved in so much research? In some ways, no one really knows. There's a bit of a mystery about why her cells took off and grew the way that they did. And initially, part of why they were so sort of amazing for science was that they were the first ones. Scientists had been trying to grow human cells in culture for decades, and it had never really worked. And and there are what's called an immortal cell line. So they will, as long as you feed them and keep them at the right temperature and keep them clean, they'll just grow forever, basically. And it was sort of a holy grail in science that they'd been working working toward. And so when they finally had these cells, all scientists wanted them and wanted to use them in research. And they used the cells to, to sort of figure out the foundations of cell culture. You know, what do you feed cells? How, what kind of glass do you use? How do you freeze them and thaw them without hurting them? They grow very easily and in huge quantities. There were factories set up in the 50s where they were mass producing her cells to the tune of about 6 trillion cells a week. They were easy to get. They were cheap to grow. And they're a good baseline. So they're almost like the fruit fly and the white lab mouse that they are so well studied now that they just sort of serve as a foundation for a lot of research. But what made her cells grow and be like that when others wouldn't is still a little bit of a mystery. They're also thought of to be so ubiquitous now that actually they are contaminating other human cell lines to the point where we really can't help but to do work on her exactly. cells. Exactly, right. Uh, yeah, exactly. Even if you don't think you've done work on Hula, you probably have. <laughs> and this started very early in the 50s, and you know, scientists initially began growing, after they finally succeeded with growing Gila, they, they started growing samples from all sorts of other organs and people to create a library of different human tissues. But cells can float on dust particles in the air. And you know if you touch a dish with your hand and then you go touch another dish of cells, you can move cells from one to the other. And Gila cells are so hardy that they'll just take over. If one or two of them falls in a dish, they'll outgrow whatever is there. And you can't tell from looking with a naked eye whether you're growing HeLa or some other kind of cell. This has caused I mean, millions and millions of dollars and pounds worth of damage over the years and a lot of controversy. So when they first discovered that this happened was in the, the late 60s and early 70s. And that's actually how her, her family found out the cells were alive. Henrietta didn't know that they were ever taken. So they were taken without her consent. And then no one ever told her family until this contamination problem happened. And in order to sort of sort out the contamination problem, they thought they could treat it like a crime scene. And if they got DNA from her kids, they could use that to identify what was Gila and what wasn't and sort of sort out the mess. So scientists called her husband one day. He had a third grade education. He didn't know what a cell was. And he got this call that he understood to be saying, we've got your wife, she's alive in a laboratory. You know, we've been doing research on her for 25 years, and now we have to test your children to see if they have the cancer that killed her, which wasn't what the scientist said at all, but he thought they had her in a cell like a prison cell. He didn't even know what a cell was. And so his family got sucked into this world of research that they didn't understand, and it went on for decades, and it really was all 
it, it all happened because of that contamination problem. That must have been a horrifying phone call to receive and it must have made the, the family very distrusting of scientists and of research. But you've been able to get quite close to them in the process of researching this book. Yes. It took me about a year and a half to convince them to talk to me at all because, yes, the years of research and not being told what, what was going on with the cells really led to a lot of mistrust of the scientists, but also many other people had come to them wanting something having to do with the cells. At one point, Henrietta's medical records were released to the press and published without the family's permission by a journalist. They had con artists who came and tried to steal their mother's cells. I mean, the, the strange things that had happened to them in relation to this had gone on for years, and I was just sort of another person calling, wanting something from them. So they didn't trust anyone, particularly white people. So eventually I did win win their trust, and particularly Deborah Lacks, her daughter, Henrietta's daughter, is sort of a main character of the book. And a lot of how I won her trust was by saying, you can come with me when I do my research. I'm not trying to hide anything from you. You can learn about your mother and the cells while I do, because she still didn't, no one had explained to them what a cell was. They were still quite confused about everything that had happened. And so she and I end up spending, you know, we spent years traveling together. I, we went into labs so she, she and her brothers could see the cells for the first time. We, you know, did various things and that really becomes part of the book. So the, the book tells the history of the cells and the science and Henrietta, but also really becomes the story of her family and Deborah trying to come to terms with it all. So who was Henrietta Lacks? What do we know about her? She was a 30-year-old black woman, um, very poor, who grew up in southern Virginia in the United States on the same tobacco plantation that her ancestors had worked as slaves. And she was diagnosed with cervical cancer, which was caused by HPV, which she had. And you know, she actually found the tumor herself. And so she went to the doctor and said, you need to take a look. And before treating her cancer, without telling her, they just took a little slice of the tumor and put it in a dish and sent that down the hall to George Guy, who was the head of tissue culture research at Hopkins. And she went home after her treatment and her decline was very fast. She died a very painful death. Her cancer was incredibly aggressive. It grew unlike anything her doctors had seen, which in part was what made the cells so useful because they grew with such an intensity. So it was the same thing that made the cells valuable for science that made them so deadly for her. So she died shortly after her 31st birthday, leaving five kids behind and not knowing any of this other stuff had happened. And it's interesting, you know, the family now, you know, they, they sort of view the cells almost as a miracle. They, they sort of believe Henrietta was brought back to life in these cells to take care of people and cure diseases, in part because that's the way she was in life. She was this incredibly mothering person. She had lots of kids that she took very good care of, but she also took care of everyone else. So if you ran out of money and you needed food, you'd just go to Henrietta's house and she'd feed you. Or if you needed a place to stay, you slept on her floor. So she really did take care of people in life and then now in death too. And without knowing it became, in a way, one of the most important women in science. Right. This book has caused quite a stir. It's been very popular. It's obviously done very, very well. Since publishing, has anything changed? Has anything come to light? Do Henrietta's family feel that they've received a bit more recognition? Yeah, definitely recognition. Um, there were so many years. It took me almost 11 years to write the book. So for a while, 
they kind of didn't believe it was even going to happen <laughs> after a while. But the, and then when it finally came out, I think her kids almost didn't believe anyone would read it or care because that's sort of the way that they feel like felt like their lives had gone. And so the public response to the book has really been amazing for them. They follow the press about the about the book and read people's responses to the story. And they also came to a lot of my events when I was on book tour in the U.S. And scientists would come up to them, stand up in the audience and say, I used your mother's cells for this you know, re- research and thank you. And I'm sorry that no one told you. I'm sorry that you, this was hard for you. And they hear that sort of thing again and again, and they're they're also watching. You know, there really is a big public dis- debate going on right now about okay, how do we regulate tissue research? How do we make it so you know people know what's going on? Because to this day, there's a lot of research. Tissue research is done without people's consent, and there are big questions about who should profit off of it. You know, Hela cells launched a multi-billion-dollar industry, and her family is still poor. So they're watching this discussion. And they're, I think they're feeling very good about the fact that it is in part their mother's story and their experience that's helping to push people to talk about how to do this science in a way that lets the science go forward because it is such important science, but also that to make sure that what happens to them doesn't happen to other people. So they, they appreciate that. They are still angry about the money issue. You know, they they can't afford health insurance. And they often say, if our mother was so important to medicine, why can't we just go to the doctor? And no, no one has sort of come forward to help them with that yet. Um, and I think they're sort of, they're still waiting. Often people ask, you know, now that the book is on the bestseller list, what's the family getting from that? So I started this foundation. It's called the Henry Lacks Foundation. And some of the profits from the book go into the foundation. And it's a education fund for descendants of Henrietta Lacks. I hope that at some point it may help them with health insurance. And it's been sort of amazing. Individual people who read the book, just general readers and also scientists who've worked with the cells, donate on a pretty regular basis. You know, it's been it's been pretty incredible to watch the response that people have to it. And I had hoped that this might provide a way for some of the companies who sell the cells or have benefited from the cells to do something for the family without give, just sort of giving them money directly, which the companies won't ever do because they're concerned about setting a precedent. If they give money to the Lacks family, what about the millions of other people whose tissues have been used in research? And so I set up this foundation in hopes of maybe being able to help with that. And then also I hope that it will broaden and be a foundation that can give scholarship money for you know any sort of education in science. Um, so high hopes there. And just lastly, what do you think are the lessons that we can learn from Henrietta and from the way that she and her family were treated? Well, I think there's a lot of them. <laughs> you know, one of the big ones was that I, I thought it was very important to tell the story to show that, you know, there are human beings behind every biological sample that we use in a laboratory and that often people don't realize that. You don't really think about that. And that sometimes those people have very strong opinions about what happens with their cells. At the least, they want to know when this research is being done, which isn't the case often right now. So they were sort of putting a human face on these biological samples, but at the same time, putting a human face on the scientists, because historically, the scientists have been sort of demonized as being these you know, evil white researchers who stole this black woman's cells and grew them and got rich off of them because they knew they'd be valuable and um, maybe didn't treat her cancer so that the cells would grow. And none of that is actually true. So it was really important to me to sort of tell both sides of the story and do it in a way that didn't demonize the scientists and in fact showed the ways that they were 
well-meaning people, and that in, in a lot of cases, this was a story of science moving faster than the regu- ethical guidelines that governed it. And I wanted people to come away from it understanding what cell culture is and why it's so important, but also why it's important to think about these ethical questions. And I think the other big lesson is about communication. Really, in a lot of ways, the book is about the importance of being able to communicate science to the general public. There were moments in the Lax family story, you know, when they first learned about the cells, if the scientists could have just explained to them what the cells were, it would have changed sort of everything that came after it. But the scientists weren't able to talk to the family. And so it is in a lot of ways about the need for scientists to be able to communicate with people and also for people to be able to be open to learning about science and how important that is in sort of daily life. That was Rebecca Sklute, author of The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. Find out more from rebeccasklute.com. I'm Ben Valsler, and for more science podcasts, interviews, news, questions, and experiments, you can join us online at thenakedscientists.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.